This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. Boss. Honk. Sand in the Vaseline. Tulsa slut. Welcome to The Way I See It. And welcome to the beguiling, perplexing, deadpan lexical world of today's artist. In this series, we've thrown open the collection at MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, to some of the sharpest creative minds of our time. Each of them has chosen a piece that thrills them or surprises them, provokes them, and they'll be telling us why they see it the way they do. This is a tough thing to go off against. Mm -hmm. This is like just someone dropping a bomb on the other side of the room, you know? In this episode, the mind doing the choosing is graphic designer and critic Michael Beirut, who designed, among many other things, the logos for MasterCard and Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. And he's chosen a painting by the American pop artist Ed Ruscha. You know, we're here in your storage facility. It's the only piece of art in this room. But if this was hung in a gallery space with a bunch of other paintings, I wouldn't want to be one of those other paintings. I'm Alistair Souk, and this episode is all about the movement that blew up the art world in the 60s, the shockwaves of which can still be felt today, and about modern art's obsession with cute, catchy language. Can words by themselves really be considered works of art. Dirty baby. Nice hot vegetables. Screaming in Spanish. All those strange phrases were painted by Ed Ruscha, the artist-cum-anarchist who hurled his own particular art bomb at high culture way back in 1962. Now, I happen to have met Ruscha a couple of times. I've even interviewed him in his studio in Los Angeles County. And I reckon he might just be the coolest artist in the world. Now, in his 80s, he's still easygoing and full of charm with the good looks of a former film star and ice-blue eyes like a husky's. He grew up in Oklahoma City, the son of an insurance auditor. Today, Ruscha is known for his deadpan paintings of riddling words and phrases like snatches of nonsense verse or mysterious scraps of surrealist poetry. But some of his most famous images aren't of words at all. Rather, they're of the forgettable architecture of the sprawling Californian megacity which he's called home ever since he first arrived there following an epic road trip in the late 50s. Though arguably, even here, words in the form of the names of the oil companies such as Standard on the station signs, play a remarkably prominent role. So what is today's word, the word on the artwork chosen by Michael Beirut? Maybe I should leave it to Michael to fill you in. Here he is in MoMA's storage facility in New York's district of Queens, where he was taken to see his selection by the museum's chief curator of drawings and prints, Christophe Chariques. Let's give it a try. Ready to go? Yep. After all my blathering, I'd say we're pretty much ready. So, Michael, in your own time. It's called OOF, O-O-F. You don't have to look at the label to see what it's called because those three letters are really big, smack dab in the middle of a large square canvas. The canvas is painted blue. The letters are acid yellow. They're painted by hand, but they're clearly a typeface that I would call something like Futura, very round O's and a very squared off F. See? Straightforward, really. Three 
yellow impersonal capital letters spelling out the word OOF against a solid midnight blue background. So straightforward that you'd be forgiven for thinking, is that it? But notice how Michael's instantly attuned to nuances of typography, to questions of font choice and the shapes of the letters? Those subtleties are important. And it's no surprise that Michael spotted them immediately because, over the years, as a partner in the award-winning design firm Pentagram, his clients have included everyone from Rolls-Royce to American Express. When I was growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I thought that art was paintings of landscapes and still lifes and things that artists did. And I remember at the museum they had a Stuart Davis painting. And that had no figures, it had no landscape, had no fruit. It just was nothing but lettering. I found that so compelling and so interesting that I still have a pastel copy I did of it at the age of six somewhere in my attic. It wasn't just something to be looked at like you would admire a sunset, but it was like talking to you in a way. And I think I responded to that voice. And I think when you see Ed Ruscha's work, I mean, you see that impulse amplified up to 11. He's not wrong. There's a famous painting by Stuart Davis in MoMA's collection of a bottle of mouthwash featuring the brand's name, Odol. It was painted in 1924 and the colours are fairly muted, kind of greyed out. Rouchet's oof, on the other hand, takes the silent motion picture that's Davis's idea and reimagines it as a blaring talkie in 3D, ready for the IMAX. It's almost six foot square. And somehow, very powerful, very self-confident. It's a painting, so obviously it's silent. But that word, oof, pinballs around your skull, echoing in the imagination. It's as blunt and forceful as can be. I also see, as someone who studied graphic design in college and have practiced it now for decades, the hand of someone who really cares about the craft of lettering. And I'm not sure that's for an artist to compliment. Compliment or not, Rouchet himself actually worked as a graphic designer. While attending what's now CalArts Art School in the late 50s, he got a part-time job to help pay his tuition fees at a small fine arts press, where he learned how to set type by hand. Later, he also worked for an ad agency and designed layouts for Art Forum magazine under the pseudonym Eddie Rusher. He was hardly the only pop artist who took on commercial work. Roy Lichtenstein and Andy Warhol did too. And Rouchet's experiences only stimulated his interest in the artistic possibilities of language. I just feel like he loves those words. He just Mm -hmm. loves them. Mm -hmm. As he moved on, he started doing progressively more elaborate and inventive things. Sometimes short sentences. Short sentences or... He had that kind of lettering he did that looked like ribbons, let's say, yeah, or right. he would do trompe l'oeil things that mm. looked like water. But always you got the sense that, boy, he just loved, loved those words. He loves those words. In another exhibition, I saw some of his notebooks, mm-hmm. and some of the pages are just filled with lists of words. And what I remember from those lists is that it's not like he's sketching them to see how they look like. There's something about just how they sound, the Mm -hmm. visceral kind of connection you have Mm -hmm. with what they mean. That's his starting point. Rouchet's love of language is unmistakable. He has this great phrase to describe himself. He says he's a linguistic kleptomaniac. He once told me how the process works. 
little surprising combinations of words, as he put it, just suddenly appeal to him out of nowhere. He'll hear them on the radio, or they'll come up in conversation, and without warning, he wants to grab them and put them in a painting. Oof, OFF. If you've ever seen that in print. In a comic In a comic book. (laughs) And so every time I've seen oof, it's often represented in a starburst. Mm -hmm. Someone is getting either Mm -hmm. struck in the jaw or punched in the stomach. And this is sort of the universal sound that kind of is part of the soundtrack to a fight scene in a comic book. Bam, Mm -hmm. oof, slam. And so what's interesting about the painting is that it sort of drains the comic book drama out of it. There's no starburst. There's no exclamation point. It's rendered in a very precise deadpan typeface that a comic book artist would Mm. find bland and insufficiently overwrought to represent Mm. the drama of a punch in the Mm. stomach, right? Mm. And so it just sits there. Almost the letters are to be admired for their pure abstraction, perfect circles in the very squared-off F. That's spot on. Earlier I mentioned Liechtenstein, who's famous for his once-shocking pop paintings of comic strips, all speech bubbles, bright colours, lovelorn blonde romantic heroines, and square-jawed fighter jet pilots. Well, in Oof and elsewhere, Rouchet was painting comics too, just in a more subtle and conceptual, abstract, deadpan way. His version of pop art is kind of minimalist, stripped back, even severe. He once told me he actively looks for severity in his work. And, while inspecting Oof up close, Michael, suddenly in full-on geeky typographer mode, notices another detail, one I'd never have identified, which only adds to the painting's power. There is something weird about that painting, actually, which is that the O is too close to the F, technically speaking. Design students learn to care desperately about something called kerning, which is the amount of space between letters. And when you're taught to space letters, you're taught to consider the entire space in between them. And so what you would do visually is reduce this amount of space because there's this extra space up here. And that's, for me, part of the charm of this painting. There's something about the slight imperceptible awkwardness of it that makes it feel more blunt in a way, more like a punch and less like a corporate logo. So if it definitely isn't a corporate logo, what is it? A painting, sure. But if it's art, and there are some even now who might tediously dispute that, is it any good? You can guess my answer. How about yes? spelt out in massive acid yellow letters against a fathomless indigo background. But what about you, Michael? I don't know. A quick answer from a (laughs) dumb person like me. Yeah, it's a painting on canvas in a frame in a museum, so that makes it art. But I think what's interesting about Richet's work is that there's real skill in the service of something blunt. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, anyone that has a computer program like PowerPoint could actually probably specify a blue background, specify a yellow type, find a typeface that looked a lot like Futura, type three letters in, all caps, blow them up, and have something that kind of looked like this, right? But one of the things that actually makes this so potent, if you ask me, is that as you approach it, you can see 
the brush strokes. You can see the paint on the canvas. Here I can get pretty close to it, can't you I? You should get Holy very cow. close. You know, I mean, if you look at the edges of the lettering, you know, this is the kind of thing where whether it started mechanically, whether he had straight edges and mm -hmm. compasses or things like he that. He most probably did. Yeah, but then to paint it this mm -hmm. precisely really ends up requiring both control and precision that I think is... It's doing this funny thing where it's like, again, taking it's this preposterous book. word and rendering it like it's a pieta or something, you know? To get mm -hmm. every O yeah. and the F kind of exactly yeah. right. To just so you he, say the he word. He talks book. about it, yeah. the painting scrubbiness, the yeah. idea that it's very physical, that it's really engaged, that you see the brush truck, that this is also uh, an object and not something out of a magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The physicality of it, I think, Christoph, mm. I mean, when you talk about it in those terms, combined with the fact that it has this sort of sonic quality. I mean, mm -hmm. you can hear it when you see it, right? Mm. You hear and see it at the same time. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so part of Oof's power is the sheer chutzpah of giving something so mundane, a silly little onomatopoeic word usually found in a comic, the full, grand, painterly treatment, which, by the way, is a classic pop art strategy. Oof perhaps surprisingly, repays close-looking. It is a visual work of art. And it's not one for the dustbin of art history books, but something alive, still vital and resonant today. In the age of Instagram and social media, this is the key for that lock. It mm. really is. The character limit on Twitter, the habit of scrolling through image after image after image, what's going to make you pause, what will catch your attention. Mm. He solved all that really early on. Just this kind of like funny, weird, like, I mean, he created memes before there were memes, right? And I'm not sure that he would gratefully accept that mantle as his legacy. I'm not sure I would if I were him. But I think he saw people were communicating mm. in the jet age. Mm. And I think it transfers even mm. with a vengeance into the digital age in a way. You've been listening to The Way I See It with me, Alistair Souk. You can hear more episodes from this series by searching for The Way I See It on BBC Sounds.